Welcome to Diner Talks with James. Slide into the booth and let's have conversations we never want to end with friends we never want to leave over food we probably shouldn't be eating. My friends, what is going on? Welcome to another episode of Diner Talks with James. I'm James, and I'm pumped to be here kicking it with you, y'all. If you're watching it on YouTube right now, my hat looking fire, but ooh, I tell you what, for those of you that aren't watching it, that's okay. You'll see it on the Instagram sometime, but I'm pumped to be here with you all kicking it in the diner. Slide into the booth. What do you have? You want some cinnamon toast? What do you need? Eggs Benedict? You feeling fancy again? I like that about you. Maybe you just want that classic. Give me two eggs. Give me some bacon. Give me a little hash browns. Whatever you need, my friends. It's a diner. We have everything from that to random T-bones takes that nobody orders but we're pumped to be here with you and i'm pumped to be here with a good friend of mine who i have not seen in a number of years uh, because a our paths haven't crossed and b there was a pandemic but i have been watching her not in a creepy way in a supportive way in a holy shit she's amazing kind of way and i'm excited for you to get to meet her and i'm excited to get to know her better as well with you Her name is Jennifer Cassetta. She is a nationally recognized speaker, empowerment coach, and a self-defense expert equipped with her third degree black belt in Hapkido. Hapkido. Are you kidding me? First off, that just sounds like a fun thing. It sounds like a children's game. You want to go outside and play some hop Sure, let's go, Rick. Anyway, uh, but uh, it's clearly more badass than that. I'm excited to ask her more questions uh, in there. She's been teaching tens of thousands of women how to take their power back from predatory behavior and power up their minds, bodies, and spirits for over two decades she's been kicking ass for two decades probably more than that really uh because you kick ass for a while and then you realize you could charge money for it but she's been featured on the today show doctors rachel ray featured expert on abc my diet my my diet is better than yours she's taught jenny mccarthy marie osmond bethany frankel and even carrie fisher princess leia herself had a kick ass while wearing their favorite heels She's also just a dope conversationalist, and she's got a brand new book coming out called The Art of Badassery, and I'm excited for you to kick it with her right now. Shout out to Jen Cassetta. What's going on, Jennifer? Hi, James. That was the best intro ever. I'm so excited to be in this diner. You know, for years, I've been watching you, and at some point, I was like, is he ever going to invite me into the diner? And then when I finally got your email, I was like, yes. (laughs) I'm so honored. <laughs> That's it. We got a time. We had to time it with the book release. We had to help you out here. You know what I'm saying? Maximize. <laughs> I appreciate you. <laughs> uh, no, I'm super, super pumped to have you in here. It is a long time coming, uh, but know that you have been on the list. You didn't just get on the list. Uh, so, so much love, fam. Much love, Jen. Oh, Jen, how you doing today? What's going on? You're out in California, right? I'm in Santa Monica, Los Angeles, loving it with some blue skies. And, you know, it's always 70 and sunny here, kind of. Yeah, it gets a little boring out there. It's It's like the best kind of boring, though, because it's like at least permanently beautiful. Yes, I know. Cannot complain about complain about the weather ever. (laughs) Now, are you a Cali native? You born and raised in Cali? No, no, no. I'm. 
New York, just like you, um, mm-hmm. the state of, I didn't grow up in Manhattan, but I grew up in a town called Mayapak, which is an hour north of the city. Okay. Yeah. But all my family's river? from Long Island. So I used to spend a lot of time there. You got plenty of time on Long Island. Look at you. All right. All right. There you go. Hey, don't. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Mayapak, is that up the Hudson River or is that a little further west? So it's the Harlem line if you take the Metro North straight up. Yeah. Um, on the east side of the river. Beautiful. That's yeah. a beautiful area town. Yeah. Yeah. Well, growing up there, it's kind of boring, but now going back, I'm like, oh, it's pretty and there's leaves and land and stuff. <laughs> Adult view is like, I get it. Child view is like, what am I supposed to do on Saturdays? Get me out of here. Take me to the city. I remember being a little kid and all I wanted to do was be in Manhattan. I would dream that I had my own apartment. I had a vision of it. It was all white, white couches, white rugs. And I had a big German shepherd. That was my dream as a little kid. I swear to God. That was the dream. That's amazing. Yeah. Doorman saying, welcome home, Miss Cassetta. Um, (laughs) That never happened, but. (laughs) Did you ever live in the city? Oh, yeah. For 15 years. Oh, Um, okay. Went to school in the Bronx where you Mm -hmm. um, also, I think you worked. You worked at Fordham, right? Yeah. You went to to Fordham. I worked at Fordham. Yeah. Right. Right. So we have Mm -hmm. that in common, too. Look at this. Look at this. This is incredible. I forgot that you grew up in New York, though. That is my that's my bad. Mm -hmm. Um, That is so fun. Um, Mm -hmm. You spent some time in the BX. Here's what I loved about Fordham's Rose Hill campus is that it's right next to Little Italy. Mm-hmm. The original Little Italy of uh, of the United States, really, um, mm-hmm. is in the Bronx. And my favorite place, uh, oh, my favorite me. place on Arthur Avenue is I was walking down there one time and I walked past a place called the Bronx Athletic Club. Now, the door was open and you look into the Bronx Athletic Club. And let me tell you, Jen, there's not one athlete in this place. I doubt it. Not one. It's a bunch of a bunch of goombas in there wearing their white white tees, playing cards, and I don't. Yeah, they're not. They're, they're not exercising anything other than their right to sit around and comment on the neighborhood. I'm picturing <laughs> velour sweatsuits. Yeah. Yeah, one hundred percent. Yeah, I didn't go in because I don't know if that's the kind of place you can go in without doing somebody a favor. Right. Um, and so I really wanted to go in there. I just all I wanted to do was go in there and hear stories. Um, so <laughs> I love it there. I mean, the best food, the best people watching. It's just so good. It's so good. It so is good. so good. <clears throat> I yeah. loved it. So that's amazing. Now, so since you are a fellow New Yorker, you'll get this. And I, I don't know if you still partake, but in New York, obviously, you know, you know your way around a diner. Um, and so do you have a favorite late night guilty pleasure food or snack? Or did you have one if you have decided to mature? Yes. So, <laughs> so there's not a whole lot of diners out here in LA, Yes. right? It's not a thing here, but back home in Mayapak was, you know, the diner, I can't remember the Olympic diner it's called. Mm-hmm. And we would go there after high school parties or whatever. And my dish was always like the, not a good poutine, but French fries smothered in gravy, Yes. you know, the brown gravy with oh, cheese. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's it. Like, the American, you go American cheese, you go mozzarella. Mozzarella. Yeah, for sure. Come on. Um, <laughs> <laughs> she's like, look at my last name, James. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That was the dish. 
Cheese, cheese fries with gravy is just a classic. Yeah. Jersey likes yeah. to call them disco fries, but we don't talk about Jersey on this podcast, so it doesn't matter. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, what is this disco fries? Duh. What a stupid name. Stop trying to sound special, Jersey. Um, <laughs> do, you hate when, do you hate when people get confused? Like, I get this all the time, especially from my neighbor. Oh, you're from Jersey. Oh, you're from New Jersey. I'm like, I'm not from New Jersey. I get crazy about it. <laughs> it's the quickest way to set me off. I think it might be the quickest way. It's the most irrational way also to set me off. I recognize that, but I don't want to right. talk about that part. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so funny. I love this. So i love this picture of you as a, as a young girl in Mayo pack. All mm-hmm. she wants to do is have a completely all white. I'm like, I'm picturing like Scarface level, like granite everywhere um, and a huge German shepherd with the bark that could echo through the walls of the Sistine Chapel. And uh, and and <laughs> this, is, this is your dream. So along with the, dream. The, the vision of where you lived, what it looked like, what did you want to be? What, what did you want to mm. be when you grew up? Yes, I wanted to be either a veterinarian because I loved animals so much or a waitress. Or a waitress. Great. And that dream came true. That one did. <laughs> yeah. So, but when I was a, this little girl, I would play restaurant. I would play diner essentially. Mm-hmm. And I would write out a menu of all the things I could m- cook, which was yeah. like peanut butter and jelly and, you know, root beer <laughs> float or whatever. Yeah. And, and I, this is so weird, but I had this little nightie and I would wear this little nightie and my mom's candy heels. Uh-huh. I mean, women out there my age would know what candy he- heels were. <laughs> And like, how weird is that? And I would go around. This was this was in Montauk with my mom's best friend, and we would go there in the summers, and and I would like serve people and play play diner. That is incredible. Yeah, uh, that makes me so happy. We just got a uh, we just got Rome, who is nowhere near old enough yet for this. I think it's like a three plus toy, but I was like, I'm buying it now. I don't care. Um, and it's literally like a toy diner set where it's got like the pay, the receipts. It's got the right mugs. It's got the sugar. You know, mm-hmm. the glass sugar. Oh yeah, I cannot wait. So good uh, for him to get to work. Uh, so good. <laughs> So you wanted to be a waitress. You said you wound up being a waitress or a server. Tell me, how did that how did that come to be? So when I was at in college at Fordham, I, oh, again, the dream was like, get out of the Bronx, get to Manhattan. Like the goal was Manhattan. It was like yeah. the streets were paved with gold there or whatever. I don't <laughs> know what I thought, but um, so I would get jobs there. So at first like hostessing at this wing bar uh, like sports bar that served wings. I would come home like reeking of that barbecue sauce or whatever. <laughs> um, and then these Italian restaurants downtown and I started serving, then bartending, hostessing, you name it, everything. I loved it. I loved the hospitality in- industry yeah. so much. And I would still be in it if it, if this whole other life path didn't happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you were, you were totally were in it, right? I mean, you jumped around from restaurant to restaurant. You said you're hosting to serving to, to everything. This is a profession that teaches you uh, the hospitality industry and especially being someone who's face to face with, with humanity. 
Mm-hmm. You get to learn so much about the humans on this earth. Yeah. Uh, and I'm sure you have some stories of some some iconic individuals that you met. Are there, are there any that jump out to you? Oh, yeah. Well, so what a lot of people don't know about me is I also bartended in a hip hop nightclub. <laughs> and my... <laughs> Yeah, my brother owned it at one point and I was bartending there. This is probably tail end of college or in after college and, um, you know, bartending till four in the morning, smoking cigarettes, like, like totally yes. opposite of who I am now <laughs> and making thug passions. Have you ever heard of that drink? I don't, but now I need to know what it is, what a thumb passion is. Thug, pa- thug passion. passion great. Even better. <laughs> Alizé, that pink. Alizé, yeah. And Hennessy. And you mix it together. And that was a thug passion. And that was like the most popular drink at the time. Yeah. Never Great. heard of it since. But anyway, um, Missy Elliott, Mar- Mariah Carey, um, Piers Brosnan, Brosnan uh, Al, uh, Reverend Al Sharpton came in and I served him. Like just completely random, random events and people that I got to, you know, serve. Essentially, yeah. it was pretty cool. That's amazing. And what a, uh, what a, I saw where the list was going and then we took a hard left with old Pierce there. Uh, and that was <laughs> such a fun plot twist. <laughs> As a comedian, yeah. we talk about the rule of threes and you nailed the rule of threes with that. Um, <laughs> uh, where it's like pattern, pattern, what? <laughs> um, so uh, that's awesome. So were you into hip hop in the, were you into hip hop at the time? Like, were you like, are you still like, do you enjoy like, this has had to be nineties era hip hop. Right. So we're talking like really the golden age of hip hop, right. Biggie, uh, Biggie, Pac, Jay-Z. I don't even know at that point there was so much beef between East coast and West coast. I don't even know if you played West coast hip hop, Um, but, but yeah, so it's a lot of Nas, a lot of Jay-Z, a lot of uh, yeah. Incredible. So good. And actually, quick story. Um, I remember being in this club, not where I worked, but out one night on Canal Street. I think it was called the Canal Club. And this is like way back. And I remember dancing in the middle of Biggie, the Junior Mafia and Jay-Z. And like, like, that's a memory I will never, ever forget. (laughs) Hold on. Amazing. You were uh, this is this may get personal quickly. You were dancing for them, or just happened to be dancing by them, <laughs> just in the same circle. Like. Incredible. Yeah, that is it. You just named a dream of mine. Um, <laughs> like that would make me so happy. Like Jay Z is the goat in my book, um, and Biggie's obviously right? up there as well. Um, and but that was like uh, when but, I was like, who is that other guy? Like Jay Z wasn't like mainstream yeah. popular yet right reasonable doubt wasn't out yet but even i mean even still volume two anyway sorry i'm not going to get into his discography <laughs> right now um but uh that is that is so freaking funny so you went from like so were you doing that while you were also serving at these beautiful italian restaurants where you're like mm-hmm. bye yeah. yeah yeah well that that particular moment i was still in college i remember okay. that got it yeah that's amazing. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to need to see photos at some point in time, just in case you were wondering. Pleather, just think um, pleather. <laughs> pleather. That's all I need to know. 
Uh, I know there are no digital photographs from that time, but I'm going to need to see something. Um, uh, that's amazing. So when you were, so when you were little and growing up in Mayo Pack, you, uh, did you live with your mother and your father? Did you have any siblings? Like what, what was the, what would the household look like? Yep. I'm the youngest of three. I have an older brother and sister. Um, yeah, that's just life. And it was pretty normal. Mom and dad, great parents, like no big dramas. Yeah. They were like, you go ahead, you be a waitress. Go, go follow your dreams. Yes. You can be anything you want to be. (laughs) (laughs) We'll pay $45,000 a year at Fordham for you to follow. It wasn't back then. It was not back then. You're right. (laughs) When I worked there in 2010, it was 50, I think. Now Um, it's like 70 or something crazy. It's absurd. Um, Shout out to the Jesuits. Um, The... uh, (laughs) <laughs> so uh, that's that's beautiful. You grew up in this super and uh, this loving home, and you go off to college at Ford. And what was the what were you thinking of majoring in, or what did you wind up majoring in? You know, honestly, I'm like the worst person when it comes to career advice or anything like that because I had zero plan. I didn't know what I wanted to do. I had no clue. Um, I wound up just doing marketing because it felt very versatile. Mm-hmm. Um, that's true. But other than that, I really didn't know. Yeah. You didn't did know. You? Uh, I did, but I'm not doing that anymore. So that's kind of funny where it's like, I did know, but then I'm not doing it. Uh, like I wanted to be, a, I, I have a bachelor of science in marine biology. Oh I, my God. Really? Yeah. I chose my school because university of North Carolina, Wilmington is mm-hmm. at the time that I went to school at UNCW, it was the third or fourth in the world's best marine biology program. Wow. And, and I wanted to go to school by the ocean. The ocean is kind of the closest I get to church. Um, and, uh, and so, um, and so I just wanted to be close to it. And obviously also what I studied that made sense too. So, uh, mm-hmm. but yeah, but that's, that's what I was, I wanted to be the next Jacques Cousteau. Um, wow. So yeah, that's, that's what amazing. I wanted. Yeah. Which is funny when you think about it, Jen, because back then what I wanted to do is I wanted to be Jacques Cousteau because I wanted to educate and entertain people about something that mattered to me. Mm. And which now is I'm what doing you're that, doing. Which is fascinating, right? So it's yeah. like the nugget under, like it wasn't marine biology. It was the nugget underneath it. But marine biology was the only way that I saw it at that right. particular time in my life. That's interesting. Yeah. And I, I can relate. Marketing, I mean, I'm always marketing myself, essentially. But yeah. then afterwards, the whole serving and the hospitality industry, the through line for me now is I like to serve. I like to serve people mm-hmm. just in different ways, right? Now I'm yeah. serving more knowledge versus food and drinks. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And instead of, instead of smoking a pack a night um, with the junior mafia, you got a Peloton behind you. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, same, 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 same. Uh, same. Yeah. So, so to walk me through, then you get this marketing degree, you're, you're, you're hustling in college, working in nightclubs. Um, and, and then you, and then you're a server. What, you know, what, what happens after, what happens after that? When, when did a transition happen? I had like a, a couple, a series of jobs. And I want to say about three ish that were like out of school. What kind of job can I get? You know? And it was like assistant, to a radio buyer, like media buying, that was one. Um, Then I went into these 
smaller agency design agencies and just kind of was an assistant for the owners. And then randomly, I met this person who owned um, an event space in a loft downtown Manhattan. Um, and he was him and his wife owned this loft and we're going to create this beautiful event space. And I was like, Ooh, and he's like, will you do the marketing for it? And I was like, sure. So I left that last job, went there. And that is when that's the period of my life where everything kind of blew up, everything mm -hmm. shifted and led me on this new path. Shall I be? Shall Please I continue? go. Let's go. Drive, okay. drive right in. I want to hear, but you can't leave me with a cliffhanger. I know. <laughs> so I spent months working with this couple and getting ready to launch the event space. Yeah. September 10th, they have their first event, 2001. And September I. 10th, 2001. Correct. First Great. event. <laughs> the next morning, I'm ready to show up for work. And I lived on 96th Street at the time, took the subway all the way down. Wall Street, got up, looked up, and there's black smoke coming out of the World Trade Center. And obviously, it was a traumatic day, pretty chaotic, trying to figure out what to do. I somehow made it the three blocks to Rector in the West Side Highway where I was working. And I remember the doorman kind of like freaking me out, like, you can't go upstairs, this and that. And I'm like, well, what am I supposed to do? He's like, the subways are closed. I'm like, well, where am I supposed to go? So he's like, I don't know, but use the phone in the lobby if you want, because, you know, cell phones weren't working. Yeah. So I remember, well, I barely remember. I called my mother and she tells me the story because I can barely remember making the phone call. And because within seconds, the first tower fell. So all these people started rushing into the lobby. I got thrown. The phone went flying. I went got pushed into this closet with a bunch of strangers. And for the, my first time in my life, uh that, that paralyzing fear kind of took over my body. So it was just like, whoosh. I remember crying. I remember thinking I'm going to die. Like, this is it. And, uh, I guess I like wasn't breathing. And then this woman came over to me and she took me by the shoulders and shook me and asked me my name and took a big deep breath. It's like, Jennifer, she's like, Jennifer, I'm Nancy. And you and I, were going to get out of here today. So sure enough, we got kicked out of that building and for hours to make the long story short, went building, building, looking for shelter, found another building, second tower fell, had to get kicked out of there too. And so hours later, I took Nancy to the martial arts center that I had just started training at. I'd been training there probably close to a year, I think mm -hmm. by then. Um, and we walked in covered in ashes, looking, I'm sure like zombies, I remember two of my instructors were there and, you know, just anyway, the whole thing was like crazy. Right. And was able to breathe and calm down and watch TV and take a shower and drink water. All those things helped me feel more safe. And that became this big metaphor for the next months, years that like all I wanted to do was go back to this safe place. So that day, obviously, I got out of there and was able to go to my sister's and then eventually leave the city for a couple of days to regroup. But all I did in that time afterwards was like go to this dojo yeah. where like I started to feel good and strong in my body, more confident in my mind, spiritually started to feel more grounded, more purposeful. And, and that kind of took on this life of its own. After a while, I was, I was still bartending at night to pay the bills, 
But in the daytime, all I was like almost like addicted, but in the best way to this feeling that I was getting from the martial arts training. Jen, I know I knew that you had a 9-11 story. I did not know your 9-11 story. Mm -hmm. Uh, That is incredible. That Mm. is horrifying, Mm. um, gut-wrenching, and with this beautiful end. uh, But uh, what a moment. You know, you're you're describing some of the intersections of where the building that you went into to try to make the phone call where your work was um, and not far at all from the towers. Yeah. So, I mean, you had to feel, you had to feel like the earth shake when it fell. Yeah. And I think that's whether it was registering that what, yeah. Right. And that's the thing. Like I definitely had PTSD, right. Um, Afterwards, I, Anytime I heard a plane, a low flying plane or a garbage truck or, you know, these loud noises still to this day, I kind of jump out of my skin, to be honest. Like, I'm not going to fool anyone. Obviously, the martial arts helped me drastically and moved me through that time and that period. But there are still little effects today. The thing is for someone, and I don't know if anyone out there can relate to this or you can relate to this, James, but when you're in one of those like horrible, horrible traumatic events and you made it out okay and pretty unscathed like for years I didn't even talk about it or think about it like I just was like oh I am totally one of the lucky ones I have no business talking about this I have no business like crying about it or feeling bad about it you know yeah it really wasn't until I don't know five six years ago when I'm like developing my keynotes and thinking about what my story was my origin story Right. Most people don't think about that unless you're a public speaker or have a brand or something. And that I was like, oh, yeah, like that is a major part of my adulthood life. Yeah. 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 But at the same time, I get it both as uh, just someone not not because I've I've had an experience remotely similar to that, but I can conceptually understand that idea of like all these people lost their lives. Yeah. I'm here today. Who am I to share anything? Um, Right. right? Like I think about it a lot in terms of my privilege, right? Like you're a white, like I don't like my birthday, right? Like I'm like, you're a white man in America who is raised with more than enough. What are we celebrating every year? Right. If you didn't survive, like, you know what I mean? Like that's a very small version of it, but uh, obviously not at all trying to compare the two, but so uh, in hearing and hearing what you're saying, it it conceptually makes sense to me. Yeah. Um, And it has been, it has, it has had to have been very powerful to, I mean, it's essentially reliving, unpacking and re-describing, re-sitting with some trauma. Yeah. Um, And that's wildly hard to do. Yeah. Yeah. There's a part of that day that I have no recollection of. I literally walked from Soho to my sister's apartment on 55th street and cannot remember Zero, like zero, zero, zero. Can't yeah. remember it at all. Yeah. Where's the dojo? Is the dojo in Soho? It was at the time. Now it's in Brooklyn, but um, World Martial Arts Center, it was on Broadway in Houston, essentially. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Also not that far. Um, mm-hmm. <clears throat> um, yeah. Wow. Uh, yeah. So you said that your mom, your mom can remember because you're on the phone with your mom when you got pushed into the closet, right? So yeah. mom just all of a sudden is like, what happened to my baby? 
Yeah. Oh, she just heard screaming, like, get down, get down, get down. And so she thought there was like a terrorist, like with like going to shoot us or something like that was yeah. going through her head. But she she says that I when I called her, I first of all called her mommy and like in a really childlike voice, which is bizarre, right? Because I don't yes. call her mommy and I definitely don't talk in a baby voice. So that was weird. But that's what happened. Yeah. Well, thank you for sharing that story yeah. with us. Uh, yeah. that, I mean, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm always appreciative of anybody who's willing to talk through their trauma, that, but never expect it. Um, yeah. And uh, so, uh, so thank you. I mean, I think obviously anyone born before, I don't know, let's say 98, maybe 90, 97 mm-hmm. uh, can pretty much remember nine 11 in some way, shape or form. Uh, and I mean, I was, I was one of those people trying to call people in the city cause I was, I was in the university in North right. Carolina at that time. Okay. Um, and so I was trying to call my dad who had worked, used to work in one of the towers was not working in the towers in one of the, at that time, oh, wow. um, he used to work in, in one of the towers. He was still working mm-hmm. in the city. He was trying to call my uncle, trying to call my brother. Um, mm-hmm. and, uh, and just, you know, couldn't get through to anybody. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, uh, but yeah, yeah, it's I mean, it's incredible. My brother at the time lived in Brooklyn and he took a picture of his balcony that was mm-hmm. covered in ash and just like wow. random papers. Mm-hmm. Um and and that's however many miles away. Yeah. Uh, he didn't live like right across the right across the river. He lived decently deep into Brooklyn. Um, right. and uh so yeah, I think I mean, you know, for our generation, everybody knows where they were um, right. uh, on September eleventh, two thousand and one. Um, yeah. So, yeah. Uh, you would. Oh, go ahead, please. Well, and yeah. And as hard and as difficult it was, again, for me personally, and I know there's so many people out there that really nothing good ever came of this for them. Right. Yeah. And it's a lot of loss and grief and, and tragedy. Um, for me personally, looking back, I can see how it changed the course of my career, how I like fell in love with martial arts and the feeling that I was getting and then wanting to share that with as many people as possible. That's how literally the journey started, not consciously at the time, but only looking yeah. back, can I figure that out and connect the dots? Yeah. That, that was, I mean, the, the, the strongest word that you shared was safety, mm-hmm. right? Like that is where you felt safe. You went there that day and then you just needed to keep going back to that place. Uh, yeah. Just the power, right? I mean, the bottom, the bottom of the pyramid for Maslow, uh, right? And yours, yours was in that dojo, um, yeah. which is, which is crazy uh, and beautiful that you found it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Now you had mentioned that you had started going to martial arts a little bit before this. What 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 catapulted that interest? You know, at what point were you like, ah, I think, yeah, I'll check out martial arts? <laughs> I know it's so <laughs> random. It feels random, except my dad had been doing martial arts. He had been doing taekwondo. He started in his fifties. Um, and That's cool. Yeah, yeah, and my dad has like amazing transformation story. But essentially, just picture a guy from immigrant Italian family that grew up in the Bronx, who then became a detective in the NYPD. But when I was born, he pretty much left that and got into a different career and was always working on self-development, always trying to better himself, um, deep into nutrition, fitness, took care of his body um, on this just always like soul searching journey, which I thought was so cool coming, especially coming from his background. Right. And, um, 
so in his fifties, he got into martial arts and I saw the transformation that went from like super tough, hothead kind of guy to uh-huh. more, you know, like more deep and more, it, he already had a spiritual side to him, but it just changed. It was just different. And, mm-hmm. um, I, all I, my original, like my original curiosity for trying martial arts was more for the fitness part. Oh, let me try this thing to get fit. I'm yeah. bored of the gym. <laughs> and then, you know, and then obviously it wound up being so much more, like so much more that people and friends like joke that I was in a cult. That's how like often and how much time I spent there. <laughs> I hear about that from a number of friends. I just got to spend uh, a, a couple of nights with my friends down in North Carolina who are deep into Taekwondo. Also, I believe he is also a third degree or fourth degree um, <clears throat> uh, black belt. And, awesome. and just the way that the way that he talks about it, it truly is a wee bit cultish, Um, but in a real, it's just, but it's community, right? And passion and community and a community that makes you feel safe and a community that welcomes you. Uh, I mean, that's what cults do. So uh. (laughs) I have to say, like, I'm that person that I'll be watching like that, what would that show on Netflix? Wild, wild country. And I'm like, Oh, this is such a nice cult. I can picture myself. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and, then, and then you know it's ways of going co- completely bonkers yeah. and sideways but like in the beginning <laughs> the cults are always so nice yeah for sure yeah always well-intentioned uh, and then power creeps in um <laughs> Uh, I love that. So after so after 9-11, we dive in deep into and we join this cult. Uh, no, we join you, you. You dive in deeper into this community. You become passionate about it. You're working your way through the belts and the levels and the uh, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Um, and uh, at what point does that transition into something that is, you know, something that you want to do as a career or something yeah. that, that when does it become something bigger? Yeah, yeah. So pretty much that year after September 11th. Um, obviously I had to pay bills. So I was bartending and then I got a job to um, manage a nightclub. Did that mm-hmm. for a year. <laughs> I love this time in your life. <laughs> right. It's so bonkers. It's so weird. So it was totally like dichotomous, like this nightclub life. And then mm-hmm. I was like in a uniform and like tying my belt and bowing, you know, like so different. Yeah. So finally I was like, okay, I need some alignment, you know, somehow just this, this is not working. So, um, I decided to become a personal trainer. Mm. I said, okay, I can, you know, take these skills that I have and transfer them to being a personal trainer. So I went to a gym, got a job. And then within a year, I was like, I don't want to work for a gym ever again. So I basically just started my own private practice in Manhattan and, Mm -hmm another way to really learn about people and, you know, like from the hospitality, now all of a sudden I'm in people's homes, like very wealthy people's homes. And, you know, like just, I don't know. I was always just so fascinated by it. Sure. You got to be in your, uh, in your all white uh, New York apartment with the German shepherd. (laughs) Except it was in Chinatown. It had roaches and mice and (laughs) and there was no white carpets. You got to see other people's white apartments and (laughs) And have them do burpees on them. Um, Exactly. Uh, I love, I love that. And I've been inside a Chinatown apartment that looks like the one you described too. Um, yeah. <laughs> I recorded some reverses in that. Um, oh, yeah? so, uh, so for, um, 
so so we go into personal training, mm-hmm. uh, which is a cool way where you're starting to find a little bit more alignment than nightclub, uh, Jen, to uh, <laughs> getting into mind, body, spirit. Yes. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah. Um, loved it. And then from there, just knew that nutrition was a, a bigger part of the the equation. So went back to school and got a health coaching certificate, went back to school later, got a master's degree in t- nutrition. But for a period of 10 years, I was in that dojo every day and then running around the city to train my clients, essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, and in the background, doing lots of this self-development work for myself, um, on mm-hmm. myself, for myself, not on myself, but like going to Tony Robbins um, events and landmark education and all these different, I know what oh. you're going to say. <laughs> <laughs> all these different cults. Yeah. No. <laughs> right. Cause so many people like I've been to a landmark event. It feels mm-hmm. real culty. Um, mm-hmm. It is not a cult. I know it's that not. it's not Tony Robbins in the moment. You feel like a cult, right? You're like, we're all Let's walk across these fire. Like, yeah, why not? It's right. It's hella culty. Um. Totally. Coles. So I walked on Coles. I jumped off this in his Fiji resort. And mind you, back then, I, I did not have money, right? But I would spend like, oh, 10 grand? Yes, let's do this. Like, Fiji? Got it. Yeah, let's go to Fiji. And we were like harnessed to these like 50 foot telephone poles and then had to like jump off to try and catch a trapeze, like just all kinds of stuff. (laughs) (laughs) Very different than nightclub, Jen, but very fun as well in a different way. I mean, I've been in some nightclubs with some trapezes, but but still, I see what you're saying. I see what you're saying. Cages, James. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I've been in those too. Um, (laughs) um, So, uh, the, the, so you get somewhat addicted to personal development. Yes. Always been like a self-proclaimed junkie. And again, I got that from my dad. My dad was, had the Tony Robbins cassette tapes playing in the cars all the time. Uh, Dale Carnegie, you know, like I was familiar with all these names. Wayne Dyer was a big one, Mm -hmm. um, in our house. So yeah, I just kind of took it on, ran with it. Yeah. That's so fun. That is How about out. yourself? The drip, the drip started early for you mm-hmm. <laughs> with some of the motivational speaking. Yeah. Yeah, that's incredible. But did you have that in, as well? Like what? You're a motivational I, speaker now. I mean, I am. Yeah. Did you listen to a lot of them? Did you do that kind of stuff? Or I didn't at all. No, I didn't hear my first Tony Robbins talk until. Uh, I'm going to say like four years ago. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, and I still haven't, like, I still haven't been, I haven't still have not seen him live. Yeah. Um, I was going to a, uh, UPW. Is that his unleash the power within? Is that three days? That's the three day yep. one down in Boca mm-hmm. Raton. Um, I was, I had, uh, I had it on my calendar. It was scheduled to go, um, in 2020. Um, and so, uh, and didn't obviously a little pandemic came through. So I've done some of his online things here and there. Um, but, uh, I need, I just want to go, I want to go and do one in person. I want to see it. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Yeah. And be in it. So I'm, I'm going to let me know when you go. I want to hear your experience. Yeah, for sure. No, definitely. I'm happy to nerd out with you about it. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, as far as my journey with some of those kinds of things, I actually, I mean, I came up through the comedy world 
Um, and that was kind of right. my exposure to getting on stage um, right. and what being on stage was. Is, and that's, I've watched comedians and uh, and whatnot. I still watch comedians. I think comedians have made me a better speaker in a lot mm-hmm. of in a lot of times. Some of the speech, especially some of the newer comedy specials, kind of border the line between motivational speech and comedy, right? You look at uh, some of the uh, Hannah, uh, Hannah Gatsby stuff, um, Douglas, you think it's some of uh, Hassan Minaj's stuff, um, some of that where they're, you know, they're, they're doing some teaching in there, right, um, right. whether it's about culture or it's about autism or it's about mm-hmm. whatever. Um, it, it's very, it's just, it's kind of fascinating to watch the way those worlds are blending a little bit. And now okay. Renee Brown has a Netflix special, right? Um, right. Where she just does an hour. Um, and uh, I drank the Kool-Aid from Brene Brown pretty quickly because okay. she and I were talking about very similar things. Mm-hmm. Daring Greatly came out uh, just before my book did. Um, mm-hmm. And it was so we're both talking about authenticity and vulnerability. Mm-hmm. Obviously, Daring Greatly, a lot about shame. Um, and so um, right. but watching her TED Talks is something that kind of I would say she was one of the first speakers that kind of really ramped me up in that way. Mm. Uh, the speakers that I saw before then all didn't look like me, didn't really kind of mm-hmm. have my background and didn't. And so that's one of the reasons why I never charged for a while in the beginning. Wow. I didn't see myself. I was like, well, I don't deserve it. Right. Like, who am I? I don't, I wow. didn't start from the bottom. Now I'm here. I didn't lose a leg mm-hmm. in Nam. I didn't kill friends in a drunk driving accident. I didn't, right. I didn't have this crazy story. I was just right. like, who wants to pay me to cry about on stage when tell jokes about when I was homesick in college. Right. Right. Turns out, Jen, big market. Yeah. Um, and, and I'm <laughs> glad I learned it. But at the time I just didn't think I deserved it because it was like, what are you, what are you getting paid for? You don't deserve right. that. Wow. Um, so yeah, so I didn't. That's uh, an awesome lesson. Yeah. I didn't follow a lot of speakers. And then once I joined uh, an agency that you and I were, were both a part of for a while um, and went to some conferences, I then, mm-hmm. I then started watching a lot of speakers. I started watching a lot of Ted talks, watching a lot of commencement speeches. Mm-hmm. Um, and to this day, I still love commencement season. Um, I love yeah. seeing what different actors say or presidents or first ladies or former, whatever, whatever. Right. Um, like I, it's a cool, yeah, I, I, I soak some of that up. I definitely, I watch more motivational speakers now than I've ever, ever have in my life. That's awesome. And I need to take a page out of your book because I always say I need to do that more and I haven't. But but anyway, back in my 20s, that's what I was doing a lot of. Yeah, which is great. I mean, you were a sponge, right? And what a great time of life to do that too, because you finally realize that, I mean, whatever the social survival skills that are needed um, in, uh, in, 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 high school and middle school and stuff like that. Like you're just kind of, it's very insular. Uh, mm-hmm. But then the twenties are this really cool time for, to think about like, okay, what matters? Right. You know, like, why does that matter? What do I want to yeah. do? Who am I? Where do I fit? What am I, you know, like, what am I going to do here? Right. Um, so I think that, that makes a lot of sense that it happened during that time. Mm-hmm. And then you yourself are now one of those people that people that other individuals can turn to, can watch, can soon read, um, mm-hmm. and uh, and consume. How does that feel now that you are a? And I don't necessarily know if you call yourself a motivational speaker, but you certainly do motivate people. Um, the term motivational speaker sometimes comes a little. Not everybody loves that word term because I picture. I don't mind it. I don't mind it either, uh, but a lot of people are like, oh yeah, Chris Farley, where's your van? Which river? Um, and uh, <laughs> um, and so uh, down but, by uh, the river. Yeah, exactly. 
So how does it feel to now be that person that someone else can listen to with their dad in the car while they drive around. Oh gosh. That honestly melts my heart. That picture that I just saw. Um, honestly, I'm honored. It's like such an honor. Anytime I'm like handed a microphone, anytime someone reads my Instagram post, like I find it such a privilege and an honor. I don't really have words for it. And I don't even think that many people do listen or read my stuff yet. <laughs> but yeah i love it i'm i'm excited for more um of that but also you know we have to remember like we're taking up space and so i definitely am more careful with what i say i'm more intentional with my words um especially putting anything out there in the metaverse what do you like interwebs, whatever, like, I'm just trying to be as intentional as I can. And as you can imagine, I know, you you know, you wrote a book, so you know that, like, now going through the third proof and the fourth proof and the final proof, like, I don't want to do it anymore. Like, I'm sick of reading my own (laughs) chapters. (laughs) Yeah. But, But now I'm, like, almost, like, nitpicking because... I don't want anyone to misconstrue something that I said or, or get triggered by something I said, you know, and it's like, it's almost too much right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. No, that that's, uh, you can definitely start to drown in it. Yeah. Um, and it makes you question so much of what are we, what are we doing here? Right. <laughs> um, right. And yeah, especially a little bit, you know, let's talk about the culture that we're in right now too, where it's just, the microscope has gotten bigger for the people on this earth, right? More people are under the microscope. Yeah. Um, and it's, yeah, it's, it's a, it's a tricky time. Yeah. Um, but it's at the same scary. time, you have to write something with an angle, with a, with direction, with purpose, with an audience in mind. Cause if you just try to write something for, for everyone that no one's going to ever be upset about, right. then no one's ever going to read what you want to write. Right. Like, yeah. <laughs> um, Exactly. So, yeah. So it's, it's a fascinating uh, line to walk. Now you talk, uh, a lot of your talks are about self-defense, about women's empowerment, about standing, standing in your greatness. Um, And I'm curious when my first, the first time I ever got to see you speak, you took off your heel and showed me how I could stab someone with it. Um, and, really? <laughs> and just show me how, like, how, how <laughs> I wasn't wearing heels at the time. Um, but, uh, but still, like, you know, it's just like the first time I ever saw watched you do was about, uh, it was about, again, it was about safety. It's about yep. uh, protecting yourself. Um, yeah. And when did that you know, martial arts is is about what to do. Most martial, not all martial arts. Most martial arts are about what to do if you are attacked, um, right? Uh, and there are some uh, there are some that are more offensive, but most I feel are are a little more defensive. Um, feel free to correct me because you're deeper in that world than I am. But okay. um, the uh, and so I can I can draw the corollary of like, well, here's something that I love. And I also love this. And what's the thing that connects the two self-defense? Um, is that how you did it? Or was there a moment at the nightclub at one time where martial arts really did help you? Uh- <laughs> well, there's, there's two answers to that. And, and briefly like, uh, well, the thing that's coming up for me is 
back in the day, like almost after 9-11, right? In that following year, I was grabbed on the street, uh, walking home to my apartment late at night, yada, yada, guy's hands up my dress, you know, and I was wearing heels that night. So I turn and face my attacker. And this time, instead of that freeze, that shutdown, I went into like full boat, full she beast mode and, you know, started doing all these things that I now teach, taking up space, flailing my arms, making myself loud and big and alpha, you know, like, how dare you F with me? And, you know, I saw it. I can remember his face in that moment going from like to, oh, damn, (laughs) I just, I just messed with the wrong person. So he took off running. I chased him down the street wearing my heels that night. Luckily for both of us, I did not catch him and the heels impeded my, uh, my running. But uh, that again, like led me even deeper into the martial arts. And when you said most martial arts is about defending, I immediately went, no, no. Martial arts was like a way of life. I know it is sound, not to sound too corny, but it's not just about the physical movements. And that's the whole through line through everything I teach and speak on now is it's not the kicking and the punching and the, you know, it's the confidence, it's the attitude, it's the self-empowerment that we all have access to. We all can use our voice. We can all stand up for ourselves. We can all stick up for other people that can't stick up for their own selves too. And that's really what I learned. Mm. You know, those are like leadership skills, I would say. And now, now they're in my programs and my book and my keynotes. And that's the through line. Yeah. I'm so glad you pushed back on that because that makes a lot of sense to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just a, just a cool moment of, you know, what I see, what I hear versus what it's like to actually be in it yeah, um, and yeah. the messaging and the mantras. And, uh, you know, uh, so that's that's beautiful. Thank you. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. The. Uh, the work that you get to do right now mm-hmm. um what would you say your goal is like if, if a, if an audience member were to come up to you, you know, a, a fellow woman came up to you at the end, what is your, what's your dream thing? Like what, 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 what would you love for them to say to you? Or if they were to reach out to you a month later and be like, Hey, you know, I've been sitting with what you said or yeah. yeah. Well, not again, what's coming up for me right now is things that women have said to me that mean the most and not that I want this to happen because I wish it would happen less, but so many women will come up to me after an event, whether it be self-defense or the art of badassery or whatever it is. And tell me like, yeah, I was in an abusive relationship or I was attacked and I'm that one in three women. And I was in domestic violent relationship. Like you've the amount of times I get that again, it's heartbreaking. And at the same time, like when they say that, my words matter to them and that they feel more powerful or they feel more confident because of what I just said, or, or they just feel like they can share that. Like so many women have told me that this is the first time they're even speaking up and sharing this. I was at a realtor conference once and a woman literally stood up in the middle of my talk, by the way, didn't ask anyone for comments or anything. And she stood up and told the entire group that she was raped during an uh, hosting an open house and like everyone was just like like the floor dropped out wow beneath us and and she said this is the first time i'm ever saying this out loud 
because she wanted to share that lesson, that, that gift with us. Right. So again, like I, I hate hearing it, but at the same time, Oh my God, what a gift. Yeah. Yeah. What a gift indeed. I think that's the, I think that's the perfect word for it uh, that you, that you give to your audiences. Uh, well, I don't mean my gift to them. I mean the gift hearing that back, you know, like, I, oh yes, I one, yes, yeah, for sure. Yeah, no, I'm the one telling you that you're a gift, though. So I know you're not going to say because you're a good person, but I'll tell it to you. <laughs> Thank you. Um, <laughs> um, so, uh, um, you know, confidence is uh, is is a is a fickle beast you know, from mm. time to time. You know, I think Tina, my wife, talks a lot about confidence, and she talks about how for women, confidence should be a team sport. Um, mm. And and it's really beautiful the way that she talks about it. And she uh, she frequently asks people, "How would you define your relationship with with confidence?" And she pulls answers from the audience. One of my favorite ones that she has heard um, is uh, she's like, "Remember that Facebook status? It's complicated." <laughs> Like that's my relationship. Like an audience member told her that. And I was like, that's I feel good. seen right now because right? confidence is, uh, it is something that I have an interesting relationship with. I am not a alpha male. Um, no? and, uh, and, and have never been, have never really been one and have therefore had my masculinity called into question and called my own masculinity into question and what is good enough? What is man enough? What is man? Um, right. And, uh, and, uh, no matter what I call it into question, no matter what is going on internally, I'm still a man. And so mm-hmm. when I step into a space, a lot of assumptions are made, especially mm-hmm. as someone who's six foot three, large dude, beard, right? Like certainly not hiding masculinity. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and so, uh, so there is, so there is, there's a, there's a privilege, right? When I walk into a space that, that women do not have. Mm. Um, and, uh, and, and so teaching confidence to women is incredibly powerful because yeah. they only, they don't just have to get over what's going on internally. They also have to get over what's going on societally where I just have to get over what's going on internally or work through, not get over work through. Um, Let me use the right terms here. You just summed Um, up the whole intro of my book, by the way. Thank you. (laughs) Well, Hey, thanks so much for coming to the talk. This is Diner Talks with James. Check out the art of badassery by Jennifer Cassetti. Y'all take care. Um, So, that was amazing. <laughs> well, great. Um, I hope I hope validating as well. Um, so, uh, so with that being said, yeah, what are some of the first steps mm. in in starting to uh, claim, step into, uh, use words that you would use there in, into your confidence? Sure, sure, sure. Well, I'll just go through the book kind of the the first step in the book, um, since you just said what the intro was. Um, (laughs) But yes, like women, we are, we have this backdrop of stuff that we have to deal with collectively, right? Mm -hmm. So whether you're not maybe the one in five or the one in three or the one, you know, you know, someone that is, you know, that you could be one day, you know, like there's just this other thing going on, but Besides that, um, the first step in the book, so the book is 
goes just like you said when you were referring to it before you move up through the colors the different belt colors mm -hmm. that's how the book is laid out so each oh, chapter cool. is a belt level so white belt is chapter one and the obviously the last chapter is black belt so white belt is all about embracing the suck and essentially you know we move through life as you know and I, you know, I, I believe that we're all, we all start with all the power, all the confidence, all the stuff that we need. But as we move through life, it gets chipped away little by little by each bully, disappointment, grief, failure, you name it. And then sometimes, especially as women, we, we even give it away. We give it away unconsciously, sometimes consciously to people, places, and things that don't deserve it. So kind of that first step is kind of like I said, embracing the suck, knowing that like, okay, you've been through really hard times before they're going to happen again, but let's kind of strip down all that stuff and get to the core of who you really are. That's kind of the first step, yeah. right? Does that resonate for you as a, as a six, three male <laughs> motivational speaker? I mean, it sounds like acceptance, right? Like kind yeah. of accepting of like, here's where I'm at. Yeah. Um, right. Like to go back to our, our Jesuits, um, cure a personalis, meet the person where they're at, um, right where, but meet yourself where you're at. Mm -hmm. A lot yeah, of exactly. us. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not good at that. Right. Cause I, I'm over here looking at so-and-so being like, Oh, look at him. I should look at her. I should look at them. I mm -hmm. should. Right. Mm -hmm. Like I should on myself a lot. Um, yes. And uh, <clears throat> as opposed to uh I then it's in saying should should equals shame a lot of mm -hmm. times. Mm -hmm. And so it's if they are there, that means I should be ashamed that I am here. Right. And that right. Is, that's not that's not kindness. Yeah. And again, to go a bit deeper, I feel like embracing also the suck of your past. Mm. Right. Because that's where usually like if we're not feeling confident today for some reason, it's probably a program that we took on when we were younger because something terrible happened or, you know, as we move through life, like I said, that, that confidence gets chip, chipped away little by little. So just like being okay with whatever has happened in your life and not ha that you have to be excited about it or celebrate it yeah. or even get on a stage in front of thousands of people and share it. But just like, Hey, like these are the things that happened to me and I'm probably stronger because of them. And then, so that next step is like taking that list. I call it your greatest shits list, like going through your path <laughs> and like naming all the sh shitty things that have happened. Yeah. Um, and then pulling through your secret weapons from them. So the things that you've developed as a result of moving through those challenges versus in spite of them. So some people can, you know, secret weapons can look like empathy, perseverance, leadership qualities, generosity, flexibility, humility, right? There's just yeah. so, so many. Yeah. Yeah. That's, That's awesome. That's yeah. badass. Uh, and, and yeah. And then we take people through that from that, that newly uh, cemented foundation and, right. and build up from it belt by belt throughout the book. Yes, uh, exactly. Cool. Right. I think also, Oh, go ahead, please. Well, a lot of times, and when you do any of the Tony Robbins or the, all, all these things, they all start with like, you got to go into your past, right? Yeah. Even therapy, you got to go back into your past and clear up that shit because it's holding you back. Yeah. Like that's where all the chipping away has come from. 
And if we don't get clear with it now and accept it, like it's only going to hold you back in the future. Yeah. 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 I mean, the first landmark thing I ever went to was everybody was a hot sobbing mess. I was like, what are we doing here? Um, It's like, what, what is happening? Yeah, uh, yeah. But yeah, uh, so I, I totally get that. I think another interesting thing about confidence that I, I would love to hear your thoughts on mm. is that uh, sometimes we try to put confidence in a one size fits all or one definition fits all. Right. Um, but confidence is a very, it's a very personal thing. Mm. But we try to make it seem like I think society, the internet, uh, you know, uh, a number of different voices sometimes make uh, confidence feel like this is what confidence is and what it mm. should be for you. Right. Would you, where do you fall on that? And what are your thoughts on that? Because as someone who does drink a lot of self-help Kool-Aid, there yeah. are very similar messaging in a lot of those books. Yeah. Um, and, uh, but what I hear you saying and a little bit of yours is that is you're, you're kind of allowing some of that. What are your personal things that came out of your shit list mm-hmm. that you bring to the table and how can you step into that? I just, I don't, I'd be curious to hear, I'm now answering your own question for you. So, but I'm going to make yeah. you answer it still. Um, but you know, you know, confidence is a very, a deeply personal journey. Yeah. What do you think yeah. about that? Oh, I think you're absolutely right. And uh, that's kind of why I named the first keynote and now book, the art of badassery, because I feel like badassery is a term that is very it's almost kind of vague, right? You can, everyone has their own definition of it. And under that feeling badass. Yeah. Yeah. To me, that's like feeling confident, um, putting myself out there, living my dreams, you know, at least going after my dreams. Um, that to me, that's, that's, that's pretty badass. And it feels like you're confident doing that. But I do think confidence is very, um, it's just a muscle, right. That we have to practice over time. And, Nobody is either confident or not. Like it's, it's a range, it's a scale, it's a sliding scale and it's going to go up and down and up and down depending on the day or even the hour sometimes. Yeah. And that's okay. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. One of my favorite quotes is from uh, the wise old sage anonymous. Um, (laughs) And uh, (laughs) anonymous once said that happiness is only what, you know, that guy. Oh yeah, sure. Yeah. Yeah. Good. But yeah, yeah. Yeah. We used to play croquet in my backyard. Um, uh, So uh, Bobby anonymous, Um, but uh, you know, someone once said that the happiness is only a place that you can visit, but the smartest people go there often. Mm. And I, I a lot of times think about confidence that way. Mm -hmm. I don't like, we're not, to say that you are 100% confident in every single part of your life is, is absurd. Mm-hmm. Um, that's an unrealistic goal and one that you should rewrite as soon as you can um, yeah. <clears throat> so that you can give yourself grace and whatnot. And I think, you know, confidence is if people come up to me and I'm sure the same thing for you after our speeches, people come up to me like, how do you so confident? Oh my gosh, it was crazy. And I tell people it's like, you literally just saw me at the peak of my confidence. Right. <laughs> you just saw the peak, right? Like right now, as you and I are talking about, it's changed. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right. I'm now totally. self-aware. I'm now this. And like, you know, things are coming up. And, uh, and so, yeah, it's, uh, it is, 
it is fascinating that it is it's a it's a place that we can visit we should visit it more often because we deserve to mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. and uh and realizing the things that are keeping us from going there more often i think is what your book is talking about yeah. and work worth doing yes i have a question for you and then i'll answer i'm not it. interested in that um no <laughs> go ahead if you could you name one thing practice or book or anything that has made the biggest difference in your own confidence? Uh, I have a cliche answer to that, but that's okay. Mm -hmm. Things are cliches because they're undeniably true. Um, (laughs) uh, But uh, uh, Tina is a big, is a big person in there. Um, Like Mm -hmm. my, you know, my, my wife, um, And uh, helps you feel more confident. Is that yeah, saying? I think other people see our greatness before we do, and that doesn't make them wrong. Mm. But we have to remember that it doesn't make them wrong. And it's taken a minute for me to realize that maybe Tina's not wrong, which has mm. been really hard to admit uh, for multiple complicated reasons. Um, <laughs> but uh, but still, yeah. I think that that's been a big piece of it. I think uh, you know Brene Brown's work has been. Uh, mm. I, I think that if her work doesn't get as much uh, as much of the output as it does get, I don't know if I'm allowed to talk about what I love talking about, um, right? Like in talking about authenticity and vulnerability and leadership and, and things like that, right? If, if, if she doesn't come before me, not that, not that she's the first person to ever say it, right. um, but the way that she's been so widely digested and also mm-hmm. contested, um, but has open the door for me to be able to talk more about, I think what I talk about um, and feel seen in some of that work. Uh Um, Is there a part of me that wishes I could have been that person? Hell yeah. I didn't do the work that she did. Right. Right. I just did it. Um, And, uh, and so, you know, respect it. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, but yeah, I think, I think so. I think that's, that's something like reading daring greatly. Um, I also would say, uh, when I went through my divorce a number of years ago, I, uh, I I, didn't know that about you. There you go. Fun fact. Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) I, uh, I hold up in this uh, Airbnb that was just a small a frame in Vermont. And I, I I just dove into meditation because like, Mm -hmm. I need to do work. Um, cause I hurt someone who didn't deserve to be hurt. Um, and I was also mm-hmm. falling in love with someone new and I was really excited mm-hmm. about that, but it was all the guilt, the shame, the everything. And I was like, I'm a piece of shit. Um, mm-hmm. and, uh, and so there were some moments in that, that let me know that I was allowed to feel emotions that I didn't think I was ever allowed to feel. I don't know if I ever felt anger and could name it as anger and realize I was allowed to feel angry about something until, being in Vermont that week. Um, yeah. And so just allowing yourself to step into like, I'm allowed to feel things. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So I think those, those are three things that, I'll, which is more than what you asked for, but yeah. No, it's not. <laughs> the more the better, right? The more tools, the better. That's yeah, what I say. Sure. But, but mine is the same uh, as yours. Actually that meditation piece, I was, cause I was going to jump in and say it, but I wanted to hear your answer first. Um, in the last three or four years, I would say I feel the most comp- the mo- I go to that confident place more often mm-hmm. um, than ever before. And sure, there are plenty of reasons. I'm getting older. You start to care what other people think less. <laughs> yeah, sure. Yeah. <laughs> um, 
and and lots of other reasons but but that is the biggest reason is a is a dedicated morning meditation practice where i just go in go deep sit there and like literally feel so much better because of it so yeah yeah, yeah. and most people who've never tried med- meditation uh, either don't because it's like I have to do woo woo or they don't because they don't think they can. Um, right. And that's where I, that was the camp that I was in pre trying it. Mm-hmm. Um, and because I have ADHD, uh, I have anxiety. I got a lot of stuff going mm-hmm. on that can easily take me out of a meditative state. Right. But even um, more the reason to do it. Right. 100%. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, and so, uh, and you know, and people are like, well, I can't just sit and think about nothing for an hour. I was like, right. well, great. Don't no, start with three minutes. Yeah. Um, and that's what it started. And, I, and truth be told, like, I still haven't gotten above. I think the longest I've gone is 12 minutes. Okay. And that, that's Perfect. okay. It doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and it took me a long time to realize that that that, that doesn't matter, that those five right. minutes are valuable, that those, yeah. you know, that sweet British man on headspace, <laughs> uh, you know, he's got my back no matter how long I'm with him. Um, and I really appreciate that about him. <laughs> <laughs> that's amazing that's a good okay so you use you use headspace that's wonderful yeah yeah headspace i, yeah, I know calm is another really popular one and there's mm-hmm. there's a whole there's a whole bunch of them so yeah but insight yeah. timer is mine but i just use like the ambient sounds that they that mm-hmm. on there yeah i don't know if you notice this i don't know uh if you have a, if you're loyal to an airline um but delta. Um, delta great so delta now has peloton on their thing. Um, and so you can, uh, you know, if you bring your own bike, you can put it on the plane. No, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> but, but in the, they have like little, just little exercises you can do where it's even calf raises, but more importantly than that, they have just little meditations. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's lovely. Um, I saw that. So, yeah. yeah sure. Pretty cool. Yeah. It's definitely becoming more mainstream, but again, I think it's important for, for folks to share the actual benefits. Cause again, like you can, you can sit there and go, yeah, well, meditation, it'll help me de-stress and blah, blah, blah. But hey, it'll help increase your confidence. What? Like, I don't think those two things are usually connected. And for me, that's why I just really want to share that. And it's a whole chapter in my book, not just meditation, but going quiet, going within, trusting your gut, listening. Um, And that has like I said, boosted my confidence. Why? Because you feel more at peace. You feel more at ease. You're more intentional. You're willing to take more risk. You know, all these different things come as a result of that. Yeah. Which is awesome. It is awesome. Mm-hmm. You know what else is awesome? Jennifer Cassetta, yeah. you. Well, uh, you. And I cannot thank you enough for kicking it in the diner. Your book, The Art of Badassery, Unleash Your Mojo with Wisdom, of the dojo uh, is available for pre-order right now on Amazon. Um, I hope that y'all will get on this, get a little pre-order action. Uh, just, you can see her expiala uh, dopeness. Um, <clears throat> and it's just been so cool getting to know you more friend. I knew, I knew little, little t- small pieces of your story. It's been so cool getting to connect the dots and also just hear your brilliance. And thanks for hanging out in the diner with me. Thank you. What are you ordering? You didn't say. I'm pancake man, pancake okay. man through and through. I got some chocolate chip pancakes earlier this week, actually. Um, yeah. <laughs> well, thank you so much for having me. And thanks everyone for listening. I so again, appreciate taking up the space.
I love it. Thank you so much for being here, my friend. Y'all, that was my time with Jennifer Cassetta. Wow, that one went to some really cool places that I did not expect, but thoroughly enjoyed and was blown away by. What a story on 9-11. As I mentioned, many of us know where we were that day, uh, but to hear where she was and what was going on is fascinating. But the safety of the dojo and what she has managed to turn that into is beautiful. Uh, Confidence is something that a lot of us struggle with. And I find that having more and more conversations with our peers makes us feel less alone around it. And so our conversations are powerful as we try to grow and step into our badassery, to use her term. Uh, And it's just so cool that she spent this time with us. And so let's keep having better conversations, my friends. So do me a favor and punch small talk in the face by asking better questions. We'll catch y'all next time in the diner. Be well. Y'all, it was so much fun kicking it in the diner with you. And I would say our timing was right about perfect because I just finished the last few drops of my milkshake. Listen, y'all, you would do my self-esteem a huge favor. If wherever you listen to podcasts, if you could leave a rating, if you could subscribe, if you could leave a comment, a review, anything like that, that is how we get this podcast into more people's ears. And if you want to stay in touch with the podcast elsewhere, we are Diner Talks with James on Instagram. Pretty original, huh? I agree. Also, if you want to hang out with me, Just individually on more places, I am James T. Robo all over the internet. Y'all had a blast with you. I appreciate you. Take care and stay great.